0: i'm mike gorman and you're listening to the celtics pod podcast for celtics blog here's your host adam taylor what's going on celtics fans welcome back to the celtics pod happy monday for those of you that are tuning in on the podcast for anyone watching live happy sunday I'm joined by my boy Mr. Greg Manakis, and we're here to talk about the double overtime loss and overtime game that uh, we watched yesterday when the Celtics were up against the Washington Wizards. Before we get into that, though, Greg, my guy, you were telling me off air that you had a bit of a party on Friday. How you feeling, dude?
1: I'm good, man. I'm good. I don't know like how many people are used to seeing my face, but I actually shaved uh, for the first <laughs> time in about like two years, where I have like the baby face back. Because I was supposed to be um, Aang from Avatar, Last Airbender. My girlfriend was supposed to be Katara. She ended up like literally making a costume that was built for someone who was a 12 year old boy rather than a 32 year old man. (laughs) So the costume didn't really work out because the vet, bro, the vest was like, it was so revealing. It was basically like a bra. She basically made me a bra. And so i shaved my face for nothing man and now i'm like i got my upper lip exposed and like i'm not used to like showing this off i remember my lips being bigger than they are man it's that <laughs> aging dude yeah once you shave your face you realize like how thin your lips actually are and it's just not a good look for anybody you know
0: <laughs> i let the, i pay people to deal with this i'm not dealing i'm not doing it on my own dude that's somebody else's problem man um i'll tell you what though, i need to go and get that hooked up soon as well so i'm definitely in that same spot as you in that i'm never going baby face again dude
1: oh man it's it's rough like I, i i have so much more um i guess like i guess like fat on my face than i thought i did you know i'm not like a fat dude by any means but there's something about facial hair that just like really shapes your face in a way you know, that like people that have a weak chin or something like that, you know, if they got a weak chin, grow a beard, all of a sudden you're like a tough looking guy. You know, it's like James <laughs> Hardy. You ever seen James Harden without the beard, bro? Like, no, I like could beat dude. that dude in a fight. <laughs>
0: <laughs> We're talking about a pro athlete. Are you feeling that confident?
1: <laughs> hey man, without that beard, he doesn't look very good.
0: Yeah, it's cushion as well, dude. Like you hit someone with a beard, they've got like this padding, so it's mm-hmm. safe and stuff. Anyway, yeah, like our boy Will, our boy Will, you see him with all facial hair. Whew, it's scary. Oh man, Will's not here to defend himself, dude. <laughs> oh, he'll he, admit it. Oh, we'll be getting some of those uh those text messages tomorrow. Like, I can't believe y'all calling me out in the pod when I'm not here to defend myself. <laughs> man, it's it. crazy though. So I think uh where do you want to start with the Celtic stuff? Like uh do you wanna do you wanna talk about Doka? How you feeling about the rotations? Where where's your head at right now?
1: I guess we got to talk about Ime, right? That's the first thing that we kind of touched on super briefly in our pre-pod interview, Um, you know, our pre-pod meeting. Ime has just been terrible, man. Like through six games, I was hoping that he would come in and the, you know, kind of the mentality that he wanted to bring to the team, this tough, hard nosed, um, you know, gritty squad. He wanted to bring back the Celtics of old blue collar approach and like, what all i'm seeing from that is that he's stubborn right he he's the lineups that he's putting out there they're just not meant for 2021 like there's okay. no shooting on the floor at any times the great coaches in the league look forward to end of game situations dead balls where you can go like offense defense right Ime's had so many opportunities to go offense, defense, and he doesn't even seem like he recognizes that as a tactic that coaches will use. The game, the, the the play that really stands out to me is that last play of the game where, you know, we call timeout. We need a three-point shot. And he goes with the same lineup that he'd been going with. You know, and I get it, right? You, you want to play guys that have a rhythm and all that. But you can put in Peyton Pritchard. You could put in Grant. You could put in Aaron Smith, even though he hasn't played. You could put in Romeo. Just like anybody that might have a little bit better opportunity of hitting a three-point shot than Dennis Schroeder. Because Dennis Schroeder ended up being strong side where Tatum did the uh, fake dribble handoff with Jalen, and then he drives to his right, and Schroeder's the guy sitting there in the corner for you know a strong side pass to the three. And if you had put Peyton Pritchard in there in that moment, who knows, man? Maybe Tatum is more likely to make that pass to the corner. Maybe the guy in the corner... Defender is 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 not as likely to help off onto Jason Tatum and double the ball as he drives to the rim, and there were a couple more opportunities in which Udoka had in this not just last game, but all games, where he has an opportunity to go offense defense or defense offense, and he just doesn't do it. And I think that to me shows me that he's not really like maybe the game is too fast for him. We talk about the game being too fast. For players sometimes when they're getting used to the NBA speed, maybe right now he's not able to like see the game at the speed in which we are because we're removed from it, right? We're just kind of watching on TV. We're not in the moment. But it seems like he's not making those adjustments that I would like him to see and that Brad Stevens, Brad Stevens was so good at making.
0: I mean, you talk about like Peyton Pritchard and you know, not giving him the opportunities that he, his play kind of deserves at some points. I mean, he's had a bit of a slow start to the year. we can't deny that. I think everybody's had a bit of a slow start. But when I'm looking at it and I'm looking at okay, you go you're struggling to score from three. You go two for twenty-six throughout the game. Mm-hmm. Peyton Pritchard is one of your best three point shooters, he's gonna give you space your other best best three point shooter off the bench gets another DMP C D. You have Juancho, Juancho Hernan Gomez that can stretch the floor a little bit, look for, and, you know, is apparently a very good cutter. He gets a DMP CD. A lot of the guys that you run are very much rim runner, guy, rim pressure guys. You, you need mm-hmm. them to be slashing or you need them to be coming, you know, off Iverson cuts or certain mid range type of sets that gets them just in behind the perimeter defense so you can get that mid range jumper off. And I think that the biggest issue is, as you said, it's the lack of adjustments. Like, if you're if Tatum's struggling from free, if the team is struggling from free, then you need to find more ways to open up rim pressure attacks. Now, I know the Celtics really did pressure the rim. I did put a tweet out earlier today. Um, it was something like nearly fifty percent of their offense came at the rim. I think it was forty something percent. I'll get the numbers up in a moment. And I get that 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 was perfect. You know, you're playing very much a an old school brand of basketball. You're running a two big lineup. You're really trying to pressure the rim, and then when kickouts afford themselves you can take their open free as much as possible but when some of your best three-point shooters aren't on the floor you running driving kick and pressure in the rim hoping that you you force defensive rotations and collapses so that you can open up those scoring opportunities well what's the point if like you say you've got Dennis Schroeder as one of your main three-point shooters if, if Tatum's not hot and Brown's not hot from free you really do need to start finding ways to get someone like Neesmith or Pritchard going and that's the biggest concern I've got with Udoka this early. And again, it's only, we're up very early in the year. But he doesn't seem to run plays to get other guys going. He either runs a play to get Tatum on the ball or he runs a play to get Brown on the ball. Everybody else just kind of has to get in where they fit in. And that's not viable when you're trying to generate some team camaraderie. And if you if your two main guys aren't scoring from deep, you need to start running play sets and designing different runs that get someone like Pritchard or Neesmith going early. So you can ride that hot hand while Brown and Tatum kind of work through the rust or work the kinks out of that matchup that they've got.
1: Yeah, man. And I would like to hear from your perspective a little bit too, because what I'm seeing right now is there's not a lot of like diversity in terms of like the the initial actions that we're running. You know, we have a lot of horn sets right with some side to side action so we set that initial horns like double double high screen for those of you that don't know what horns is right it when the two big men whoever the biggest guys on the court are come up and they screen for the point guard and whatever side that we're going to as a ball handler the opposite big is either diving to the basket or he's going to set a screen away right and we seem to trying to get some action for jb or tatum off of that initial screen but i don't really see too much else going on there besides the horns it seems like to me just eye test 80 percent of our offense is started with horns and I don't necessarily know that that's the best way to utilize the guys that we have on the squad especially when you have if you have Dennis Schroeder initiating the horns with like Al Horford and Grant Williams setting those screens and now you have Tatum and Brown in each corner and for the most part, one of them, usually Jalen, is being left out of the play because they're just, you know, being a decoy on the other on the other side and being a floor spacer. And I think that's the biggest issue that I'm seeing right now is it doesn't seem like Eme has put in enough variety of offensive sets to really get get defenses guessing as to what to expect, because I'm just seeing horns. What are you seeing?
0: So that. <clears throat> one set that gets kind of confused for horns, horns because you still got two two of your bigger guys quite high is elbow sets where you've got one guy on either elbow adjacent to the free throw line and then what you'll do is you'll throw like you'll get an entry pass into one of your guys at the elbow and then you'll run actions off the elbow so it's an elbow mm. series yeah uh the celtics are running a bunch of those like for me i like elbow series i think that the um they can work really well if you're trying to get somebody cutting in baseline off a cross screen or a flex screen, and you can run like a flex action and then hit somebody Yeah, they ran a little flex, yeah. And then you can have, like, so they're running those elbows. They're running a lot of um, what I like to call motion, where you're running, um, you know, you, you go, you reverse the ball, and then you go to a stagger screen on the weak side and then feed somebody that's curling off there. They, they like to start the first and third quarters with something like that. And then stagger screens in general, just strong actions, but I think that my biggest issue is a lot of these actions are all designed at the elbow and above. There's mm-hmm. nothing that's going on from low post offence. And when there is low post offence, it's just feeding Tatum or Hawford and then kind of clearing out and letting them go to work with the back to the basket. I'd like to see more, just running some cross actions, getting some cross screens. Um, the Celtics have had a lot of luck or a lot of joy when running back screening actions you know getting somebody to come off a screen curl and then set a back screen similar to like a spain pick and roll but without the final pop out for the free mm-hmm. and if you're going to be pressuring the rim and you're going to be running these elbow sets and the, then you need to start making more happen behind the play around the rim putting pressure on the defense dragging that big man out and i think that the reason udoka's um primarily running tatum and brown on opposite wings is because it it kind of forces the weak side defender to not be able to help off because if you're mm-hmm. helping off with Jalen Brand, there's going to be a huge issue there but it's also taking one of your best scorers out of the play so it, it, you're kind of like um you're sacrificing Brand's scoring ability to remove a weak side defense the um like help defender so you're kind of like cutting your nose to spite your face maybe you want to get Brown being like, okay, we're going to wait here, but then we want Brown to f- come off a, a back cut or a 45 cut and really pull that defender out the way and offer some scoring opportunities at the same time. But at the moment, for me, everything seems very perimeter-based. They're, they're initiating their sets high up um, from the free-throw line towards the break, and I just think that there's so much space that you're you're like, avoiding using around the rim when you're running a very rim-pressure offense already, but you're choosing to not initiate sets further down the floor. So it's counterproductive to me. You either want to be a perimeter-based offense and start running more five-out, getting more three-point shots and scoring, uh, shooting at a high volume, or you want to pressure the rim, at which point you need to start working out some cross screens and so on to be able to get guys clearer looks around the hoop instead of just relying on isos.
1: So that elbow series that you're referring to, would that be similar to what, say, the Miami Heat are running? with Bam bio at the elbow, a lot of action off of Bam.
0: Yeah, so that sort of thing, right? So you'll have a guy on the elbow. You probably have another guy on the weak side of the elbow as well. Just to offer, like, you know, whether it be a step-up screen to the, guy, to the original ball handler that made the entry pass, he can come off, and then you can play some blind pick or anything like that. But that's generally where you're going. If, if, the, if the entry pass hits the elbow, then you're going to be running something out of an elbow series, assuming that the, pl- um, the receiver of the pass then starts to look for a secondary cutout or starts to take him mm-hmm. by off the dribble.
1: Yeah, and if you just like juxtapose the Celtics offense against the Miami Heat offense, right? If that's like sort of the mold in which we're going to throw the ball to Al Horford at the elbow in the BAM spot and kind of let him go to work with people cutting all, all over the place and shooters running all around, the difference is the Miami Heat never stop moving right? The Celtics end up getting a little stagnant and we have moments in which somebody makes a great cut, a well-timed cut. Romeo had one during the game last night where he got a wide open layup. Josh Richardson did a great job um, faking screening away at one point and then um, opening up and finding a layup uh, down down the stretch actually. It was a really big moment. Josh Richardson played well, by the way. Um, We can get into him a little bit later. But, you know, overall i would say in those elbow series that you're referring to there's not enough movement right when the miami heat run the elbow series people never ever ever stop moving and they're all such natural cutters that it, it seems like it just kind of plays into their personnel versus with the celtics i think you mentioned this in the last pod with will got a lot of square pegs into round holes right we're like trying to teach guys how to play this way that they're not necessarily used to playing right that's what Ime said last year. There's too much ISO, not enough movement. We talked about this a lot at the beginning of the season. What does unselfish basketball actually mean? Does it mean making a pass or does it mean just playing a role and, and doing your job within the, within the flow of the offense? And it doesn't seem like the Celtics necessarily know exactly what their roles are on the court or they don't feel comfortable in those roles yet. But one, um, you know, we've been knocking Ime for 15 minutes here. <laughs> I did thought I I did think he he made some nice adjustments towards the end of the game in terms of some actions. Like there were a couple of times he ended up getting Tatum and Brown into some actions together. I think they ran a nice little Chicago series on the left side of the court and got Jalen a wide open three at one point. Um and then, you know, with about five or six minutes left in the fourth quarter, he brought Schroeder to the scorers table. And Peyton Pritchard had just hit a three, and then he hit a second three-pointer, but it got changed to a two. And at that moment, in my head, I'm like, okay, he's getting Pritchard right now. He's putting Schroeder in. But when Pritchard hit that second shot, I think he made an audible, and he decided to keep Pritchard in the game for another three minutes or so. And then he ended up putting in Richardson for defense towards the end of the game. So that was one moment in which I saw Ime potentially, potentially not being stubborn with with the decision that he was making and making a a call on the flow of the game in order to like react to what he's seeing on the court. Right. Overall, I would say he he's struggling to do that, but in that moment, I think I even put this into our Celtics Legends uh, chat on on Twitter. Shout out to everybody in the Celtics Legends chat. That I like. That was the first time I saw Ime do something that I actually agreed with. <laughs> and through six games, I, sh- I should probably feel like there are more opportunities for me to be like, "Oh, Ime, great call there!" Like that's exactly what um, you know a coach who really has his finger on the pulse of his team would do. Um, so that's just kind of what I'm looking forward to more out of Ime this season: is does he see, does he see the game in slow motion because he, or does he see the game like a chess board? And able is he able to make these these moves within the flow of the game that, you know, represent what he's seeing on the floor? Or is he just saying, you know what, this is the move that I was going to make and I'm going to stick with this move. So that's what I'm looking forward to um, kind of moving forward in the season.
0: So I think for me, what I want is, and I'm going to go back to this Washington game again. One of the things that Washington done well in both games, so the both losses, for, was they run a lot of decoys on the weak side they'll have screening sets happening What you'll have bradley bill on the strong side like literally clearing out ready to go iso but then they'll start running screens on the weak side to keep that weak side defense locked in and then all of a sudden you're you're eliminating a bunch of guys that would usually rotate over to protect the rim or to kill the drive and then you get bradley Beal or dinwiddie or whoever they've just got so much room and so much time to operate I'd like to see Udoka kind of adapt in that way, right? So we're talking about mm-hmm. what we're looking forward to learn from what people are doing successfully against you, right? If I'm listening to podcasts, um, you know, I listen to a lot of successful podcasts. Some of the things I generally try to do is think of, right, what do they do that's really helping them grow? And how can I implement that into what we do here, right? Yeah, and it's exactly the same thing. So Udoka should be going back and watching the film and being like, right, these weak side decoy sets were a huge problem for us in terms of being able to run our defense the way we wanted it to and being able to stop some of the primary scorers that are usually almost unstoppable anyway. You know, trying to slow down Bradley Beal isn't an easy job when you have a fully engaged defense, Never mind a defense that's already dealing with a Spencer Dinwiddie coming off a pin down on the weak side that is never going to get the ball. Do that more for Tatum. If you want to give Tatum the ball on the, you know, on the wing, and then you want to clear out, now start running something on the weak side so teams can't be like, right, we need to build a wall and stop Tatum getting to the rim, or we need to start, you know, we need to throw a double at him because then that decoy now becomes a primary action and Tatum can kick over. So it always benefits in both ways. I think that Udoka's definitely implemented more of a movement-based offense, but there's still long periods of stagnation where you can see that guys want to move, but they don't really know where they need to be yet. And it yeah. is a very big learning curve. I think the thing for me is the, that I'm most excited about is the is the effort level. If the Celtics play like they did in that double overtime loss all season long, they're not going to go two, from 20, two for 26 from deep consistently. It's just not going to happen. There's too many good scorers on the roster. But if they play with that hustle and that effort level, I think they're going to be completely fine. But again, a lot of this to me comes down to making well-timed adjustments, whether that be... Bringing in an Aaron Lee Smith, you know what? What's going? What's it going to hurt if if he gets a five minute stint? And you say here, he, we're going to run three actions for you. We need you to hit two or three threes. If he doesn't mm-hmm. do it, sit him. You had no plans on playing him for the rest of the night anyway. You're just trying. Yeah. It's too early in the season to be very stuck on your rotations, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, and what's your take on like why he's not playing Neesmith? I know I know he had a couple comments before I think before the first Washington game, he said that Neesmith just kind of like not ready to play right now. Um, I think I even saw a quote that he he referred to him as a liability in terms of his his defensive um, his like lack of discipline on the defensive end. But like, is is it just you and I have are victims of having the same brain in terms of how we see Neesmith? Focus, you know. Um, functioning within the role of the offense like because you and I were on the start Neesmith train so are we just stuck in our bias that Neesmith needs to play and are we blind to like what's actually happening on the court you know what I mean I'm trying to I'm trying to see it from his perspective and when you see Josh Richardson have the game that he had last night and to make the impact that he made on the defensive end I get it in a vacuum I think Josh Richardson is a better player than Aaron Neesmith but to your point that you just made what does it hurt to play Neesmith for a five minute stint and to just like have him on the court and see how defenses react to him with movement, right? And then you could run some decoy action with Aaron Neesmith and see if that occupies weak side defenders so Tatum can go to work, you know? So I'm I'm just a little bit confused as to like why Neesmith isn't playing. I know people have been talking about it, but you and I haven't had the conversation yet. So why is Aaron Neesmith getting these DNP CDs? You're muted.
0: I think with Smith, if you look at the rotations that they're running at the moment in those in those guard positions, you've got Jalen. Run, uh, so Jalen Brown, Dennis Schroeder, Peyton Pritchard. You can add Richardson there because he can slide into the two or the three. Then you've got obviously Marcus Smart. All of these guys. Smart probably falls to the, 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 the further, the back end of this discussion. Just because, But all of these guys can attack off the dribble. They can beat their man off the bounce. They can score. They can pull up off the dribble. They can score from free a little, and they can get to the rim. And I think that Pritchard's quite limited in his ability to score after dribble at the moment. Like his ability to finish at the rim is as a play finisher. He needs somebody else to create for him. He's not really going to take you off the dribble, drive the lane, be able to control the ball and his body enough to finish through traffic. He's very much a a sharpshooter. You're going to run him off screens, ask him to hit freeze, step in and beat closeouts. So I think that what is trying to do is run with an, a, a lineup. We can throw Romeo Langford in here as well, who can operate off the dribble. He's a good, um, good slasher and he's showing a little bit of a jump shot as well. I think what Udoka wants is he wants his guards to be free level scorers. He wants to know that mm-hmm. you can run an offense through any of them when you need to. If they close down the first option and you've got another guard capable of doing everything on that second option, then you can swing back for the third and so forth. So I don't know whether Pritchard's specialization is actually hindering him under Udoka, because Udoka seems to go re- – if you look at the rotations he's running – uh, apart from the four minutes of Ennis Cancer minutes, he's really running down, um, running a unit that is all multifunctional guys, guys that can do more than two, or, like one or two things, or two things exceptionally well, and then three, like, you know, another two things at a high level. And I, I just feel like that can be, in my head, that can be one of the only reasons Neesmith isn't getting any playing time at the moment.
1: Yeah, and he has flashed that three-level scoring ability, though. That's what confuses me so much. It's like, in that... Orlando game right and I know what I'm saying here everybody I'm talking about a preseason game against the Orlando Magic (laughs) so like I get the words that are coming out of my mouth Aaron Neesmith scored 28 points and was dominant he was really dominant and he found a rhythm and then the very next preseason game he kind of got pushed to the end of the rotation and then he hasn't really gotten an opportunity I've seen a lot of people out there say well Neesmith has been terrible in the minutes that he's played this year it's like yeah he hasn't really gotten a chance though like you could tell Udoka kind of just put him out there to put him out there, but he didn't really believe in Aaron e. Smith when he put him out there. So if, for Neesmith to like kind of prove his worth, he needs to get minutes on the court. And it's not like this is Aaron e. Smith from the beginning of last season in which he he was coming off an injury and didn't have a training camp and clearly wasn't ready for NBA basketball. He proved last season that he can make an impact if given a role on a team. And like Josh Richardson, I think, has actually – His defensive impact, I think, has actually made a difference. I, I think he's been terrible on offense, aside from last night, which he was great. I thought, you know, his 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 minutes on the court made me think and question whether you know Marcus Smart needs to be worried about his role within the offense because if Richardson can kind of do what he did on defense, then like, kind of, what's the point of Smart? I think, from my in my opinion, one of those two guys deserves to be in the rotation. You know, and it because Smart is, you know, Mr. Celtic and has a four-year, $90 million contract, it seems like he would be the guy to be in there. But I think Udoka kind of has to make a decision between those two guys, because those guys, to me, are redundant. And what Neesmith offers on the court is something that nobody else on the roster offers, right? And we need to find more guys on the court that can do things that other guys cannot do. And Marcus Martin and Josh Richardson do pretty much the exact same thing on both ends of the court. So um, I would just like to see more Neesmith. I know you and I are on the same page about this. I know many people on Celtics Twitter and, you know, that bleed green are just like, why is Iron Neesmith not playing? I just wanted to kind of have a quick conversation with you about Neesmith because I think he deserves minutes, man. And when you go two for 26, as we did last night, it doesn't hurt putting in your best shooter or your best shooters on the court just for a couple minutes just to see if they can break that drought.
0: I mean, another thing you want to even mention in Josh Richardson, another thing you need to take into account is his best game came in a game where he was on ball more, where he wasn't forced into being an off-ball guy. Yeah. Somebody to operate off the catch and just shoot and then cut. He was given an opportunity to put the ball on the floor and make things happen. And then we saw his best game as a Celtic. So that's going to mean that Udoka has two choices. you either revert back to how you were using Richardson originally, where he's he's not going to be highly impactful, but you'll get the defense or you need to find out a way to give it, give him the ball more because this was a great showing from him. If you take the ball back out of his hands now, you're, you're only getting a sliver of what he can provide. And obviously, when you've got high-level role players, your job as a coach is to maximise their ability within the flow of the offence. So to me, I don't think that it's going to be an either smart or Richardson, but I think if you're running Richardson with that second unit, then you need to allow him to initiate the offense more than what he has to start the season. Because obviously when given the opportunity, he can get hot and he can give you something that you haven't seen from him in the last, what, first opening games and then all of last season as well. Yeah, but that comes back to rotations though, right? Because
1: if Dennis Schroeder is coming off the bench as a sixth man, then the ball's going to be in his hands with the second unit and he's not as good functioning off the ball, right? So, like, if you're going to start Schroeder, then I think it makes sense to have Richardson come in and be, you know, a primary creator off the bench. But now, does it make sense to have a starting lineup of Schroeder, Smart, Jays, and then you bench one? That's the worst
0: shooting back court in the league. Right? I'm not a fan.
1: Exactly. So, it's just, like, that's why I'm saying, like, Smart or Richardson, I know that that's probably not realistic because both of them probably need to be on the court for the Celtics to reach you know, their defensive potential. They're both such great defenders. But right now, like, although we we created this very deep roster, there just aren't enough guys that can do the one thing that you need an NBA player to do playing off of a, off of a superstar like Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown, and that is to be a floor spacer for them. And Josh Richardson and Marcus Smart just aren't floor spacers. Um, so that's why I'm just like, man, I don't know which guy ends up Being out of the rotation, you know, that is sort of one of those redundant players. And the redundant players, in my opinion, are like Dennis Schroeder, Marcus Smart, Josh Richardson, and Romeo Lankford. The guys that are just like ball handlers, slashers, solid defenders, solid to good to above average to great defenders. Like all of them kind of have their their lane on the defensive end in which they can really excel. And those four guys, it's just too many guys... That aren't able to shoot the basketball when you have Peyton Pritchard and Aaron Neesmith waiting, waiting for minutes.
0: So here's the thing with Richardson, like looking back at him now. So he spent eighteen percent of his time at the small forward this year at the three. Okay. Right now, during his Miami years, when he was actually like building a reputation as being a reliable ball handler, reliable free level guy, he was spending the majority of his time at the three. So like um, in his final season with Miami, he spent fifty five percent of his time playing as the three. Then he goes to Philadelphia, only 2% of his time comes at three. free. Then it goes on to Dallas, 19%. Then in Boston, 18% over five games, small sample size. But there's a very big correlation of, hey, you move him away from the small forward position and ask him to play as a two guard, and his ability has, like, um, his impact has decreased along with that role change. Now, if you want to run an offense where you a uh, second unit, where Dennis Schroeder is your primary ball, primary ball handler, then consider moving Richardson up to the three. So then you have something like a Dennis Schroeder, Peyton Pritchard, Josh Richardson, because you can cover for Peyton Pritchard's defensive inefficiencies when two guys next to him are Dennis Schroeder and Josh Richardson. You can kind of make up for that a little bit. And then all of a sudden, now you have two guys, one operating on a wing, one operating at the point of attack, that can both put the ball on the floor, both quite willing off-ball cutters and movement guys. And you can start to like leverage teams that way i just think that if richardson's primary years where he was the most impactful came at playing the free then you need to at least investigate that on a bigger sample size while giving a floor spacer in between him and whoever runs the guard because it's going to be smart or Schroeder, you're going to need that floor spacer at the two to be able to make all these off ball movements work and that's my biggest issue at the moment Udoka's running a bunch of units, but there just doesn't seem to be anybody there that really keeps the defense honest and creating that that pressure, that perimeter, that perimeter scorer that allows people to drive and forces a defender to stay home because they can't collapse off. Because you know, if you if you help off of Pritchard, Pritchard's gonna cook you. If you help off of Neesmith, you you can't help off of these type of shooters. So if you can do that, Schroeder, Pritchard, Richardson, I just think that you're creating more rim pressure while allowing the spacing to stay um, reliable or consistent, it'd probably be the better word. So I'm, I'm down for running Richardson with that second unit still. I just don't think it should be as a guard, at least not for the next few games while you test out, at least test the theory out and see whether you can get this sort of production you had off him in Washington, but coming from the wing position. Then you can still stagger Tatum and have Tatum as your four and one as your primary. You know what I mean? There's still ways to do this. But um, I just think that what, seeing Richardson as solely as a two, um, you're creating rusted um, disruption and you're creating problems for yourself that don't necessarily need to be there.
1: Yeah. And I think this is a, a good time to transition into talking about Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. You just brought up Tatum because all this stuff you know, doesn't make a difference if Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown don't play like absolute superstars every single night. Um, and let's start with Tatum, because I think Tatum was the guy that was getting a lot of the flack on Twitter. Um, you know, his decision making down down the stretch wasn't great. Uh, his shot making down the stretch wasn't great. His effort was awesome. 15 rebounds. You know, he, he got out in the fast break. He was attacking the rim. Just looking at his shot, shot, shot chart right now probably a few too many mid-range shots in last night's game when you compare it to the last time we played Washington where it was like Daryl Morey's wet dream where everything was in the paint or three-point line. He had, what, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine shots from the mid-range last night where he had zero the previous game. And I... I love that Tatum is getting to the rim, right? He had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. 11. He had like over twelve or thirteen attempts directly at the rim last night, and he has been attacking. Why isn't this dude getting to the free throw line, man? What are you seeing? Because to me, I, I feel like he's getting hit on most of his drives. Is it just the their, the the way that they're calling the game this year?
0: Yeah, I think that has a bit to do with it, you know. Like there's a bunch of guys that usually have like live at the line that Harden's free throw attempts have gone down, Trey Young's free throw attempts have gone down. I think they're trying to allow the game to be a little bit more free-flowing, because obviously that people don't want to watch a game that's consistently stop and start with free point um free throw attempts. Mm-hmm. But there needs to be a, a cutoff because at the moment they just feel like there's times where Tatum is quite clearly fouled. Yeah. And he's but at the same time, like, is he getting treated like the boy who cried wolf? You're constantly, so. you're constantly complaining to the referees. There's going to be a point where they're either like, hey, we're going to believe every time you say you're fouled or we have to start giving the other team the benefit of the doubt. And yeah. there were times, like, you know, if Tatum wants to get fouled, he needs to start hunting the contact a little bit more. It still feels like he, he, he'll step away from the contact and allow a guy to come into him rather than take that bump, you know, lean in, take the bump then get the finish and i know that's kind of what the nba are trying to avoid this year is if you lean into a defender then you're not going to get that foul call but force them into positions where they have to go up sidewards where they can't go up straight in defensive alignment and you can get the foul calls i think tatum just needs to manipulate his um his man a little bit more put them in position like maybe that comes off um you know, running veer steps more and getting putting them in jail and then getting them to try and jump over your back or anything of like mm-hmm. that. Um, so I think that's part of it. I also think the other part is genuinely just the boy that cried wolf. I think that he's put himself in a position where referees don't believe he got fouled every time, and yeah. unfortunately, that's going to take a while for him to get past that.
1: I agree, man. But I was watching back some tape on him from last night, and there were a couple plays where he just got he clearly, clearly. Uh, got fouled. Like the that one play where he got out in the fast break. I think it was in overtime, and uh, Contavious Caldwell Pope smacked him on his arms as he was finishing the layup. Like very clearly, hit him on his arms and hit him in his body. And Tatum, you know, did his Tatum thing where he put his arms up in the air afterwards. And it was like, yo, uh, like in real time, you could see him get hit. The Denny Avia play in which Tatum, you know, whether or not Avia got the ball. He literally, with his left hand, pushed Tatum on Tatum's shoulder as Tatum was coming into his space. His left hand was the foul more than his right hand blocking the ball or hitting his arm. He, he impeded T- Tatum's progress there. And then anytime Tatum is going with an extended pickup when he's driving into the lane, an extended pickup is the, you probably think of it as the James Harden play, where you put you, when you lift the ball up, right, you have your arms extended out. And anytime Tatum is going with an extended pickup, he's getting hit on the arms and they're not calling it. So I'm wondering, yeah, like, is it the boy who cried wolf? Because he is annoying to watch, like watching Jason Tatum complain to the referees is not fun. Um, and, I, you know, he's been doing that for years now. So I, I don't know, man. It's just I, I like his aggressive nature. I think eventually if the Celtics call the league office and like talk about the way he's being officiated, maybe that will start to change. I like his aggressive play. I like that he's going to the rim. But right now it seems like he's in his own head with the referees and finishing around the rim. He's blowing so many bunnies, man. And, like, I don't know that I've seen Tatum miss this many wide-open layups in, in a while, you know. Um, it, it reminds me of how he was the first couple of years in the league where he hadn't quite figured out how to, how to, like, finish at the rim yet. And it seemed like he had kind of gotten over the hump the last couple of years. But this year has been bad so far. Um, but let's talk about J.B., Uh, JB had a great game. And then in overtime, he kind of got freezed out one shot attempt in both overtimes. And that shot attempt was a fast break in which he uh, short armed a finger roll at the rim. So he didn't actually get any shots within the flow of the offense in overtime. What the heck is going on? Why are we not getting the ball to Jalen Brown in crunch time?
0: I think that Odoka's just relying on Tatum more. He's I think Tatum's just got more of a green light during crunch time than what brand does, which I, I don't understand personally. I mean, brand's still operating like uh on average, he's probably at, let's say a 90 90%, percent percentile in usage rate. So let me have a look. I want to have a look at what his usage rate is for this year because brand isn't getting ignored at all. Okay, so his his usage rate is 27.1 percent. So on 27.1% of per 100 possessions, so 27 times out of 100, Brown is the guy that they're looking for, is the one yeah. to be finishing. Uh in this in this game specifically, his usage rate was 26.7%, so they were definitely giving Brown opportunities, but I feel like that Brown gets hot and then they move away from him and try and get Tatum hot. And don't get me wrong, I'm the I'm very much on the side of you need Tatum and Brown both excelling in games to be a, a true contending force having one having them take turns like this game was a brown good game next game or potato will go off then brown will go off you need to get games where these guys are consistently going for 25 to 30 each on the same night as well as giving you rebounds assist defense i think as well that like um Brown to me should be getting opportunities to finish games in crunch time. Like yesterday, only forty-six percent of his um, field goals came off an assist. He created over fifty percent of his own offense. He's so incredible. when when, yeah, when you want when you're chasing um, chasing a lead or you're in crunch time and you need a bucket, you need to be able to say to Brian, "Look, we know you can create for yourself after dribble, after bounce, whatever you need to do. We know that you're going to be able to create something out of nothing." So now's your chance to shine. And if you do get cut off, if defences do scheme against you, while well then kick it out to Tatum, who's probably going to be a little bit more open because you force defences to mm-hmm. adjust. I think that there's too much reliance on Tatum and it's just putting too much um, too much pressure on him. Which is why sometimes we see him devolve into this iso ball. I think that Tatum usually performs a little bit under par against the Wizards. Anyway, I think he he thinks it's a one on one matchup versus Bradley Beal. I never look yeah. forward to watching Tatum play against the Wizards.
1: Yeah, and to be fair to Udoka and to the Celtics offense, right? We did go to Jalen on back to back possessions at the end of um, at the end of regulation, where Jalen hit the 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 jumper over Trez, and then he missed the jumper over Beal, where he had that wide open lane to his right i wish he had driven on that last play um so we did go to him back-to-back plays at the end of regulation and then we did look for him on that um ato in which tatum threw the ball out of bounds we were trying to get jb you know corner three so it's not like we're completely ignoring him it's just like there are times in which it seems it seems like we forget that he's there and that he's been hot right let him bring the ball off the court a couple times in ot there was that one play, um, I think it was at the end of the first overtime, where Tatum had had the ball like four or five possessions in a row. We have the la- we have the chance for the last shot of the game. Schroeder's bringing the ball up the court, and JB's running up the left sideline, and he puts his hand out like, yo, give me the ball, give me the ball. And Schroeder kind of just waved him up the court and then was going to give him the ball once we got up the court into the half-court set. And then KCP just denied him the ball. We couldn't get the ball to JB. So in that situation, like, JB hasn't touched a ball, just let him bring the ball off the court, Schroeder, you know? Or just, like, Odoka, call more opportunities for JB to be the initial um, uh, instigator of the offense and let Tatum play off the ball for a couple plays. It just seemed like every single play in overtime was a Jason Tatum-initiated action. And I think when the defense starts to figure out Tatum's rhythm and when Tatum isn't necessarily, like, doesn't really have it going go to JB and just see if something else happens. And it seems like this is kind of going back to, circling back to what we talked about at the beginning, Udoka's lack of like imagination, I guess, on the offensive end in in close game situations. In general, I think if you watch NBA games, at the end of games, that's normally when the best players take over. That's when Kawhi Leonard goes one-on-one at the top of the key. That's when LeBron James initiates everything. That's when Luka Doncic does his thing. So, like, Tatum is your guy, but at the same time, you have two of them. That's what makes this Boston Celtics team special is you can go to JB and you can go to JT. It doesn't matter who has the ball. They're both great. And Tatum, I think, does probably has a little bit more of a playmaking gene. But when you just need someone to put the ball in the basket, I think Jalen Brown is just as good as Jason, as Jason Tatum in an ISO situation. So, I would just like to see JB get a little bit more of an opportunity um and hopefully we can get him more of those chances.
0: Do you know what annoyed me about that that possession where KCP shut down JB getting free? It. It, it took it took J it took Brown three or four attempts to try and shake KCP before somebody decided to come and set a screen. The clocks yeah. ticked the clocks ticked down too far. And then it, okay, so my, my outlook was right. He's tried to shake KCP. He he hasn't done it. KCP's done a fantastic job defensively of taking away any Good driving defender. lanes. Where is the screen then? You need to be setting, set a back screen, set a, a side screen. I don't care what type of screen you set. I really couldn't care, but set something to set JB free because the play was obviously designed to get JB in, on, on, on the move, in movement. The play was designed that, hey, we're going to get JB cutting towards the rim. We're going to hit him. He's going to finish with his athleticism. If he can't get free, run something secondary, have a... Have a um What's the word I'm looking for here? Have something you can lean on. Have a backup plan. Oh, if yeah. JB, we want you to try and get free. If you can't do that, then Horford, we want you to come and set a step-up screen and let JB curl off you. And then we can run something. Like maybe it's a love play. Maybe we hit you while you're on the drive and you just finish with a float. I don't care what it is. Do something to get him free. Set him open so you can actually get the original play design back into into effect especially when the clock's ticking down you can't waste three or four seconds waiting for a guy to try and shake a defender like kcp that is Mm -hmm. gonna stay on you all the way through it's just not gonna it's it it's not winning basketball or like
1: maybe this is an iq thing but jb go set a ball screen right and then maybe you cause some confusion you get kcp off you it's just like in that moment, that was just ugly basketball, man. It was just like we haven't had we haven't gotten the ball to Jalen for five minutes. So let's try and force it to him here in this last possession. Yeah. You know, it's like what set do you we- set a ghost
0: screen? I mean, go, both teams were struggling to guard go screens in that game. So yep. set a ghost screen, force for sure. a a, a an unintended switch, which shouldn't happen anyway because no contact, no switch, but they seem to be happening for both teams. So mm-hmm. set that go screen and now Brown's all of a sudden open and then he can, you know, cut back, do a back cut or he can curl over a secondary screen and be above the break and get, get downhill there. I don't like, obviously there's a thousand ways he could have attacked, but you are right. If you can't get free, set a screen elsewhere, go inverted and set an inverted screen for Horford where someone little sets a screen for somebody big and make confusion that way. But you I I do agree. I think that play was quite ugly. It was clear what their intention was, but their execution of it was like incredibly poor.
1: For sure. And when you say it was clear what their intention was, I think that's one of the issues with the Celtics offense right now. I think like anybody can like see their intention from a mile away, you know, like including the other team where it's just like kind of obvious what the Celtics are trying to do and down the stretch when it's obvious which just get the ball to Tatum and let Tatum do everything. It's just easy for teams to to game plan against that when there's a lot of um, stagnation on the offensive end. So hopefully the Celtics can go back and watch some tape and learn from this. And we got a big game against the five and one Chicago Bulls on Monday, a team that has been out you know exceeding expectations so far, and we're gonna have a hard time guarding them. And Demar Derozan, Zach Levine. Vucevic, Lonzo Ball, Caruso. It's going to be a big test for the Celtics coming up on Monday, man. And when you consider we're coming off one day break after another double overtime game, five overtime games and six games, we've seen before, man, we don't respond well after an overtime game. So um, I, I don't know what you're looking forward to on Monday, but I just hope the Celtics have that energy and effort that we saw in this game because although the execution down the stretch was not great as you said the energy and effort level throughout the game was phenomenal so hopefully we can bring that and hopefully smart will be back and he can kind of inject some life into the offense and defense and Robert Williams should be back as well
0: yeah I think that that's like look if they play with this level of effort and free start to fall I feel like they're going to be completely fine Like, I don't think the sky is falling. I don't think Kudoka is going to be the reason they don't make the playoffs. I don't think anything like that craziness is going to happen. But there's definitely issues that they need to work through. And that's fine. We're we're six games in in the season. People used to scream till they were blue in the face about Brad Stevens um, experimenting early in the year. They used to hate it. Now there's a coach that isn't really experimenting and people hate it. So, you know, Mm -hmm. but everybody's got a blueprint of how they expect things to go and how they'd like things to go. Udoka will be no different. The Celtics will be no different. So the only expectation I've got going into Monday um, is literally just I just want effort. I want effort and hustle and everything else will fall into place. I agree. I agree awesome well that wraps us up for our monday episode of the celtics pod you can catch us again on wednesday uh, as usual if you like this episode and you're listening on an apple device hit that subscribe button well it's the follow button now hit that follow button five star review write something nice um if you don't have an apple device then word of mouth is always fantastic if it's your dog groomer the person that polishes your car does your yacht i don't know what you up to i don't know what type of life you're leading Shade but anybody or shaves your face yeah i don't know what type of life y'all are leading but um i'm sure there's going to be celtics fans around you depending on where you are in the world um appreciate all of you and we will catch you again on wednesday greg anything you want to say before we let everybody get out of here
1: um my band black sheep optimist who you hear my voice at the end of the pod um we have a new song releasing on tuesday the song is called tomorrow so make sure you uh, go check that out and then we play um, I live down here in Austin, Texas, so we have a big show on Wednesday at this big venue called Mohawk. Uh, we play that on Wednesday, so I'll be reporting back on how that goes. Hopefully I remember all my words. Peace, everybody. I you hate. y'all my patience. never did it for check. I've been impressed with the.